Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Have you seen that show, Doomsday Preppers? Have you seen those videos on YouTube? Those people are insane, right? They they literally think the world is going to end, um, and they have these underground bunkers with food stashed that they could last for probably longer than they could live, right? Um, They have weapons. They have these – I've seen these bunkers underground that even if a nuclear bomb went off, like they would be safe. It's crazy how much money people have put into um, equipment – in order to survive the last days or if there was a world war. And some of these people really believe the world is going to end. And uh, as, a, as, as a kid, I, my wife would always make a joke that if something were to happen, you know, if you don't know where I am, I'm somewhere out in the woods because JT is taking me out there to, to hide out or something like that. I kind of I have that doomsday mentality of I like to prepare for the worst things. Anyone with me on that? Like I'm always preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. As kids, this comes from when I was a kid. Me and my cousins, we didn't have phones. We didn't grow up with Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. And so what we would do is we would build forts outside. And you're like, well, that's not even fun. Yeah, it was for us. We would make these underground forts. We'd dig about eight feet down a huge, uh, a huge hole in the ground, and we would lay two-by-fours and some planks of wood and then put uh, dirt over it so then it looks like it's part of the ground and you have a little tire and you jump through the tire and it's like, it's awesome. You know, you're in, you're in your fort. We made shelves for food. We had, we stocked it with airsoft gun BBs and everything. Like we were ready for the end of the world, you know? And uh, I think there's a little bit in every single one of us that when things happen like this last week at the Capitol or um, maybe over the summer with a lot of the riots or just the civil unrest that we have in our country, you're like, is the world coming to an end? I don't know. And maybe you start to fear. Well, God has set a date and a time when he will return. And that doomsday mentality is probably what God's people in exile are feeling. God's people, Israel, were taken from their homes. They were enslaved, taken from their land. They were silenced. They were beaten. They were forced to live under a totalitarian government. Um, right. It was just it was a monarchy and that just dominated all of life. If you didn't if you didn't submit to the religious practices, the cultural practices, the norms of the day, you were beaten, you were starved, you were killed. In many ways, God's people were discouraged. They were losing faith. They needed to be reassured. Is God really there? Does he really care about me? Is this the end? And maybe you're in a similar spot. Maybe, obviously, you haven't been taken you know, away from, a country, from our country or anything like that, but maybe you're going through trial. Maybe you are genuinely scared uh, about what's going to happen. Maybe you're asking those questions. Maybe you're asking, God, where are you? No one in my life cares about me. God, where are you? you know, each and every one of you are going through a specific trial, something that's hard, something that's pressing upon your heart. And if that is true, then this passage is for you. You need to be encouraged. You need a wake-up call and maybe to have your eyes readjusted to what really matters and what really is going on. 
And we're going to do this by looking at Daniel chapter 7, which is a history lesson. And even if you don't like history, this history matters because you're a part of it. Okay? So I know that you guys are smart. We're going to be looking at some pretty heavy, weird stuff. Okay? But bear with me. You guys are adults and you guys could follow along with me. Okay? And so let's be encouraged. Daniel 7 is probably one of the most important chapters in all of the book. And like I said, it's an apocalyptic genre. So what does that mean? I need to define my terms. An apocalyptic genre is a sort of prophecy that seeks to enlighten and encourage people despised and cast off by the world. And the way that it encourages them is with a vision of the God who will come and impose his kingdom on the wreckage and rebellion of human history. And in this message, in the visions, it communicates a message through the use of wild, scary, imaginative, bizarre, and head-scratching imagery. So when I read about the beast and all this stuff, you're going to see it. Just know that it is written in order to be realistic about the problems that are going on, but also to encourage God's people. Okay, so one of the keys to interpreting this passage is to not get lost in all the symbols and be like, when is Jesus coming? When is the exact date on the calendar? Are the stars aligned? You know, but is to look at the main point. So let's read the text. Daniel chapter seven. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts and were, uh, that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking Great things. The title of my message is The Triumph and Suffering of God's People. And the first thing that we see in these first eight verses is the beastly nature of the world or of earthly kingdoms. The beastly nature of the world. So Daniel has this vision and it's during the reign of Belshazzar. Anyone remember Belshazzar? The arrogant dude that started through a huge party and then used God's temple vessels and he started drinking out of it and then a hand appeared on the wall. You remember that story, right? So it's during that guy's reign and he has this vision. 
And God reveals to Daniel and his people a snapshot of history. Well, for us, it's history. For them, it was the future. And in this vision, there's four beasts, as I read. And these four beasts represent four different kings or kingdoms, literal kingdoms. This actually happened. And this is a prophecy. So this is being told before it happened. Okay. And so what are these kingdoms and where did they come from and why does this matter? So the first, what? What are these beasts? So the first one, as we see in verse four, it looked like a lion and it had eagle's wings. However, the wings have been plucked and we're ready to go into the fryer. Okay, so they've been plucked. They're bald. Right. And this beast is then given the mind of a man is what it says. What does that kind of remind you of? Who was uh, who had who, who lost his mind and then was given the mind of a man right back again? Anyone remember Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he grew uh, uh, feathers. He, looked, he had eagle's claws, is what it said. It's pretty wild. So this first kingdom, this first beast represents Babylon. The second beast that we see here in verse 5 looked like a ferocious bear. But do you see in the verse, it says um, that on one side... Uh, it was raised up on one side. And so this bear was kind of lopsided. So one of its sides was higher than the other. What does that mean? And he had, he's snacking on ribs. So he's got some ribs in his teeth and he's devouring much flesh. So what kingdom is this second beast? Well, the clue is that in one side, it's bigger than the other. And in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel sees a vision of a goat who has two horns and one is bigger than the other. And that signifies the Medes and the Persians. Two uh, kingdoms that came together. Medo-Persia is what it is called. And Persia was the one that dominated the Medes. And so Persia is the stronger kingdom. And so they formed one. And so Persia is the stronger side. Picture a bodybuilder who skips leg days, right? So the Medes are the legs weaker, and then Persia is the stronger one. And so this, the bear's got a lopsided side. All right. So that's the second beast. So we have Babylon and then Medo-Persia. And then the third beast, let's see if you know your history. So this is around 300 BC, looked like a leopard with four wings. So super quick animal, right? A leopards are awesome. They hide in the trees. They jump down on antelopes. They're pretty amazing, but had wings like a bird. So he's swift, super fast. And he has four heads looking in all four directions, uh, the west, east, north, south. And so his, his kingdom spread very swiftly and dominated in all directions. Anyone know who that would be? Ancient Greece, Macedonia, right? That's Alexander the Great. So we have ancient Greece there. And then the last beast, which is the most important in the text. Daniel sees it. Look at verse 7. He says, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had iron teeth. It devoured. It broke. It crushed, you know, things into pieces. And it had ten horns. And then it had this little horn that came and devoured three of the horns. What is this? Who is this? Well, most scholars believe this to be historical Rome. This is Rome. But. Think with me here. It goes a little bit further. So literally, this is Rome, but symbolically, this fourth beast represents all anti-Christian governments throughout all of history, from Jesus' ascension to when he comes back. And so this beast is, the, is of a different kind. It's unlike any other beast. It's in its own category. It's so strong. It's universal. It's, to, it's destructive. 
One commenter said, To use no metaphorical language, we could say that the fourth empire to be established on this earth will be a true universal empire that will make all other empires look pale and insignificant by comparison. This empire will conquer all other kingdoms and states, whether they be great or small, neutral or belligerent. It will be an empire without parallel in power and ruthless in persecution. And so this fourth beast, I would say, is the different kingdom. And understand that it is the last human kingdom. It's the most wicked. And in the end, Jesus, when he returns, will put to death this last kingdom. And so there is an historical aspect of this that it's talking about Rome. But even more symbolically, we live in a Rome. <laughs> Any anti-Christian government is like this fourth beast. And this is where we make the bridge to our time. Why is this important? Why is he sharing this? Well, I think it's pretty clear. To show the beastly nature of the world. Of earthly kingdoms. That from all time. We in America here, we like, we like to romanticize the past. Like America is just the greatest Christian country of all time. Well, guess what? It's not God's kingdom, okay? Uh, America is not God's country. It's not, uh, that's what the country singers think, you know. Uh, it's, it's not his kingdom that where America goes, God goes. No, it's a normal kingdom that actually is just as horrific as any other kingdom. Yes, there's been some great things and God's blessing has been upon uh, a lot of things when it comes to our laws and protections and freedoms. That's great. But in the end, any anti-Christian government is one that will try to stamp out God's rule and dominate all of Christian life and persecute the Christians. And so he is trying to show us the beastly nature of earthly kingdoms of this world. Why, why are kingdoms so wrong? Why are, why are they so wicked? It's because we are wicked. Kingdoms are run by other people, right? Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. And so when you put a bunch of sinners in a government position to run things or a corporation or even in a marriage, when sinners say, I do, two negatives don't make a positive, right? There's problems there. It's because we are wicked and thus when we run things, we make a mess of things. And so here we see the beastly nature of earthly kingdoms. Now, the other point in this is, is kind of to make us afraid. We need to be realistic about the world. You could think of all the atrocities that have happened in governments. It's a reason why no one flies a swastika, right? And it should, should also be the same reason why no one should fly a hammer and sickle. You know what that is, right? The communist flag, which Stalin was known for killing 40 to 60 million people in Mao's China. Mao was a ruler in the 1920s who killed upwards of 45 million people. Hitler took out 6 million. And guess what? America alone took out a million babies last year. We don't have a great history either when we consider the atrocities in our own country, like slavery and segregation and abortion all of this is to show the beastly nature of human kingdoms and to not put our hope in them. 
And so this should leave us frightened. And Daniel is frightened, but guess what? Look what happens. Right in the next verse, it's like it, it just moves in a flash right to another scene. Look at verse 9 with me. As I looked, thrones were placed. In the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousands and thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn, the little horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then I saw in the night visions, look at verse 13. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. I love how abrupt Daniel is. He goes from the beastly nature of earthly kingdoms to the victory of the sovereign God. That's the second point. The victory, the triumph of the sovereign God. Why does he do that? Why does it like just cut? Like right, it goes from scene one to scene two like that. He's freaking out and then he sees the ancient of days and he sees him in all of his glory and the son of man coming on the clouds. Why? I think it's God coming down to us and saying, hey, you see all the wickedness in the world? Do you see what's going to happen in history? But fear not. Fear not. For I am on the throne. And so in verses 1 through 8, with all these beasts, and we look at, on the, on the ground level, we see what's going on in the world. And we're like, this is terrible. This is not good. But from God's perspective, if we were to elevate ourselves to heaven we would see God on the throne and that's exactly what we see and he's trying to remind and reassure and encourage his people not to lose hope because he's on the throne and he is reigning and he is sovereign and we see two characters here and each of these character uh, characters have characteristics which are something that we should ponder and so the first thing is that we see this ancient of days What is this Ancient of Days? Well, it's a title. It's not some old Gandalf-looking wizard sitting down, you know, with books open. All right? Don't think of someone who's old. All right? It's a title for God, meaning that he is eternal. He is ancient because he's never had a beginning. He is the eternal God. And he's on the throne. And he's sitting all, of the, all the other nations and the beasts, they're, they're moving around and they're devouring, but God is sitting. Why? Because he, he, he is stable. He understands what's going on. He's sovereign. He's in control. There's nothing that could thwart his plans. Worldly king, kingdoms are always fretting. We're always running. We're, we're all, we are always devouring much flesh. We're, always, we're going out, we're eating, we're, we're drinking, we're having a good time. Right? We're trying to figure out what tomorrow brings, but God is the one sitting on the throne. And look at what it says. His clothing was white as snow. Not only is he eternal, is he sovereign, but he's holy. He's p- completely pure. There's none like him. There's none like him. And then fire issues out of his, 
of his throne. Fire represents his presence, but also here it represents judgment and fury over the wicked. And so we see a God who will not let the wicked go unpunished. And thousands upon thousands are worshiping as he sits as judge. That's the hope. We have a God who sees the wickedness, but isn't like those worldly judges who turn their blind eye to sin and wickedness and injustice. God is the one who will punish wickedness. And then the second person we see is this son of man. And so in verses 11 through 12, we see the beast who is killed. God kills him. He destroys him. And the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. Right, And then in verse 13 and on, he sees this other vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. A son of man. Who is this son of man? Well, I have been watching Sherlock. Have you guys seen that show? Sherlock, if you read the books too. Sherlock is all about deduction. The science of deduction. You know what that is? He says, I love this line. He looks at John Watson. He says, John, you see, but you do not observe. All right? So who is this son of man? Who is the son of man? Let's observe the text. Let's look. Let's deduce looking at the characteristics here who this son of man is. Okay. The first thing that we see is that he is one like a son of man, meaning unlike the beast, he looks human. Second, but not just any human. He is he is divine in origin because he is coming on the cloud clouds, whereas the beast came out of the sea. He doesn't come from the earth. So not only is he human looking, but he's also divine. And Daniel sees him coming on the clouds, which is a visible representation of God. Third, he is a human figure who's given eternal dominion and a kingdom. Unlike the beasts, his kingdom will never end. Fourth, he is a royal figure. If he has a kingdom, he's got to be a king. So who is a God, man, uh, who is not uh, uh, born like us, who is not created, whose origin is in heaven, who has a kingdom that's everlasting, who is a king, and who receives worship from all peoples, nations, and languages. Hundreds of years later, Jesus is standing before the high priest in the courtroom setting, being falsely tried and condemned. And the high priest asked him in Mark 14, 61, he says, The high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Daniel is seeing Jesus. He's seeing future exalted Jesus who will have the victory, who we will worship, whose kingdom will have no end. And so this is meant to encourage and reassure Daniel that it is God and his people who will have the victory in the end. Be encouraged. Be reassured. Student, we must see the beastly nature of the world, but we also must recognize who is on the throne, who is in control, who will have the victory and where our hope lies. And then we must ask ourselves, who do you belong to? Do you belong to the world or do you belong to Jesus? Will you receive the kingdom with Jesus or will you be cast off? How does this end? Let's read on verses 
15 all the way to 28. So we see the beastly nature of the kingdom of man. We see the triumph of the sovereign God. And then thirdly, we see the coming test. The coming test of conflict and suffering for God's people. So look at verse 15 and on. It says this, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me, my, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Here's the summary. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But be encouraged. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. The saints, God's people will possess the kingdom. Verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on his head and the other horn that came up before, which the three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, God's people, and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, this interpreter, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of the kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down or assassinate three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He'll blaspheme him, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time times and half a time but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him here is the end of the matter As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. You got to understand, Daniel is writing hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. And so from our perspective, we see the Son of Man who has come, who has died on the cross for our sins. And we await the second coming of Jesus Christ. But until then, we are in a conflict. We are at war. We're at war with the fourth beast, anti-Christian government, and with the little horn. What is that? Who is that little horn? That is the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And so it's important for us to get to know the characters here so that we can move forward. 
we see the suffering and triumph of God's people here. The struggle and then victory. The birth pains and then the joy of holding a child. The long walk to Mordor and then the victory. That's the pattern of the Christian life. And that's what Daniel and God wants to reveal to us tonight. It's the same for us. It's easy to get lost in all the imagery and miss the main point of these verses, which is verse 18. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom forever and ever and ever. This is the end game for those of us that are in Christ, us that are saints. But we need to recognize that end game comes after a battle, a conflict, a war. Not against Thanos, but against this fourth beast, okay? This little horn that it wants to persecute God's people and blaspheme against God. The conflict is clear. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, as I looked, this horn, this little horn, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And in verse 25, this little horn shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. This fourth beast is a universal power that will make war against God's people until Jesus returns. And so we're in a war. We're in a conflict. And like I said, I asked the question, who is this beast in this little horn? They're anti-Christian governments, and this little horn is what Paul calls the man of lawlessness. In 2 Thessalonians 2, this is the Antichrist, whose sole mission is to see, um, is to use earthly governments and false religions, hence using words of blasphemy to deceive God's people and to persecute God's people. We're living in the last days, 1 Peter and 1 John Say And before the triumph comes conflict. This is not our home. I mean, every week as leaders, we are in a conflict with lies, with unbelief. We want you to know the gospel. And you are in a conflict every day. You're inundated with messages from our world, from Hollywood, from our government, from wherever you get your information from. Tempting you, telling you lies that are contrary to God's word. We have to recognize that we are in a conflict and it's all around us, whether it comes through governments or through worldly lies, through your speakers, in your headphones, through your TV, through your friend's mouth or through false prophets. First John 2.18 says this, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Past tense, they've already come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We're at conflict. And so if you're looking for the Antichrist to come, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here through lies, through deception, through false religions, through persecuting governments, all of these things Satan uses to destroy and persecute God's people. But only through Jesus Christ are we made more than conquerors. And we will triumph, even though we suffer like our Savior. And so this passage, though it is hard, even then very difficult for me to preach, I hope I haven't confused any of you. The bottom line is this. The world that we live in is passing away. It's evil. It's wicked. And it's evil and wicked because of human sin. It starts with you. And you're no better than those people. 
We're no better than those rioters the other day. Guess what? You and I, all of us are insurrectionists against God. From the very beginning, we've been trying to overthrow God's power in our life. That's the source. It's our heart. It's deceitfully wicked. We need to recognize that. We need to run to Jesus. And even as Christians, we need to recognize that the world is not neutral. It's after us. It wants to persecute us. Yes, people living in there, we're going after the lost. We love them. But this is not our home. You can be encouraged because there is a son of man coming on the clouds. There is the ancient of days sitting on his throne. He's got his books open. He is the judge and he will punish wickedness and sin. This is a warning and an encouragement. It's a warning to those of you who love your sin. Your sin is beastly. And you have not repented. You're siding with the world. You love your sin. You have not turned from the very thing that will devour you in this life and in the life to come. And you will be judged by God's law. You will stand before the ancient of days. The books will be opened. And you will have to make an account for your life. And guess what? If you do not know Jesus, if you have not been brought into a relationship with him, if you have not repented from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing but fire and judgment for you. But this is an encouragement for, for us that love Jesus, that when we see atrocities happen, yes, we fight against those as Christians. We speak out against them. We speak out against evil, no matter what happens. While at the same time, we know that everything in this life is temporary. And we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to think about the ancient of days. We need to think about who's on the throne. We need to be encouraged. We need to keep focus on what matters. Is that every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship Jesus Christ. Do you know that the bride price, the inheritance that Jesus will receive uh, in, in the end is all the nations. And why are we here? We're here to get those nations for Jesus. That's discipleship. Right? We're here to spread the gospel. So that Jesus can receive what is rightfully his. And so we live in this life, in this conflict, trusting in Jesus, holding fast to his word, knowing that we will triumph even while we suffer. That's the message of Daniel 7. And so if I confused you, I am sorry. (laughs) Did my best. See, before Jesus came on the clouds as the exalted Lord, He came to earth as a man in humility for one purpose and one purpose only. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man. And the way he would save the lost is by suffering with them in his life and for them in his death. Luke 9.23, he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed And on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the message for us. Student Daniel 7 gives us a wide view of history, past, present, and future, with the sole purpose of encouraging you that God's people, yes, we will suffer, but we will most certainly triumph in and through Jesus Christ. He is our hope.